We are in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. And Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? When, when Jesus preached this, it didn't take him 28 weeks. So when he's moving through chapter 5, chapter 6, he gets to chapter 7, he's talking about judgment, and we hit this passage of great resolution, of, of a solution, of relief. It just took us a little longer to get here, that's all. Um, this, the, the order of this sermon, not mine, his, impeccable. Uh, you know, he, he, he led us to this place where you know, he starts off by talking about the kingdom and the ways of the kingdom and then the calling us to live in these kingdom ways. And we've spent lots of time looking at what that looks like and bringing it back to the hope that we have in the gospel of grace. But then he enters Matthew 7 and not only is there an expectation of us living this kingdom life, he said, but there's a judgment, there's an adjudication of this life lived in him. Not, again, as we looked at last week, not heaven or hell, but how you will spend eternity in the presence of God. As Paul said last week, and it's a, it's a verse worth hearing again, he said, If the life you build survives the judgment of the saints, you will receive your reward. If it is burned up, you will suffer loss. But he says, You yourself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Now, if you're like me, and you've been working through this the past several weeks, you... May, I'll just tell you what I've said. I said, well, I, I, it's a mess. I'm a mess. My life's a mess. So I am the one that's escaping through the flames. Uh, and you get to that point and there's a sense of, of grief, a sense of conviction, and hopefully of, then what, Lord? What do I do? I mean, I, I believe what you've said. I believe this kingdom is real. I believe that the kingdom ways are real. I believe you called me to live it. And I believe that day is going to come when my life's going to be laid bare before the Lord. And I'm going to give an account for my faith or my faithlessness in him. So what do I do now? What do I do when I look at this and I evaluate myself correctly and say, what a mess, what a mess, what a mess am I? Those listening, no doubt on that day, heard and thought the same as I imagine many of you. Jesus knows we are thinking this. He knows the emotional response to it. And so he gives us, in this passage, verses 7 through 11, he gives us the right response to it. It's not despair. It's not despondency. It's not frustration and anger and departure. It's asking. It's seeking. And it's knocking. He says, if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, it'll be open to you. If you do these things, he offers us real hope in light of this incredible high calling. And it is a high calling. And I'm, I, he's saying, you just started. Really? Are you going to be like this in the first five minutes of the sermon? You just started. Settle down a little bit. 
When pastors and teachers and preachers of the word of God are afraid to say, this is what the Bible says, this is what's true, and bring us into the presence of a holy God so that we feel all right and we think that we're okay, even though we're not, that's wicked. Christ speaks the truth to us so we will see him clearly and see ourselves clearly. And then he says, and here is the right response. And he gives it to us here. Many of you have heard this passage, some for years, ask, seek, knock. Ask, receive, seek, find, knock, open, and you got it. But more often times than not, I've heard this taught as it pertains to salvation. It's not a salvific verse. It has, in fact, it has nothing to do with someone going from darkness into light. It's not a salvation passage. Jesus is talking to those who are redeemed by his blood. He's talking to those who have been called to live as kingdom citizens, but cannot on their own power. And he says, this is how you do it. Ask and seek and knock. He offers us a solution to the mess that we've made. So, what are we to be asking for? I mean, what are we supposed to be seeking after? And what are we to be knocking on? I mean, how are we supposed to see this truly as an entrance into the gospel and grace and power that relieves the despondent, depressed distracted and discouraged soul. I want to look at this passage in three ways. One, the implied deficit. Saying, oh great, he's lapsed into economic professor mode. The implied deficit to the understanding and need to engage in the deficit solution. And lastly, the assurance offered by God. So the implied deficit, what is it? The deficit solution offered by Christ What is it and how do we engage in it? Number three, the blessed assurance offered by God. Let's look at the implied deficit first. If you have been following the presidential debates at all, even the stuff uh, online, without exception, you're going to hear stuff about annual deficits. You're going to hear dialogue about how to solve problems with the annual deficit. And that makes sense. I mean, we're talking about a trillion dollars a year, more money we're spending than we're taking in. That's just a little bit of money. You know, when I was teaching economics 20 years ago, trillion wasn't even in the dialogue. I had trouble getting my students understanding billion, let alone trillion. Trillion's like monopoly money, right? It's just crazy. So they keep talking about these budget solutions, these deficit issues that need to be resolved. When, because it's real. It's a real problem. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go into politics, so just relax, all right? I can see it right now. He's deviating from Scripture. I'm not. When you read this passage, ask, seek, and knock, there's an implicit deficiency, right? It's implied that we are experiencing a spiritual deficit or what? Or we wouldn't have to ask or seek or knock for anything. We'd already have it. I mean, the only time that really we go into the presence of someone to get something from them is because we don't have it ourselves. The implication is that the very kingdom virtues, the quality uh, and character of people that this kingdom demands, we are not. We don't have it. We're lacking in total. And yet Christ is saying, here's the kingdom. These are the ways of the kingdom. I'm calling you into the kingdom. Now live like a kingdom citizen. And the response is, I can't. I can't. I don't have it. This theme, which permeates Old and New Testament, is that we don't have it and we can't earn it. You can't work for it. 
You can't make yourself have the desires of God. You can't make yourself humble and make yourself righteous and make yourself... You can't make yourself these things. It can't be something that you do independent of God doing it to you. It all must come from God. In fact, in in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus makes this eminently clear to the disciples. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And before that, you won't have it. You won't have it. We're commanded by Jesus to properly pray by asking and seeking and knocking. But we must know, in the midst of this command, it is a gift that must come from God. Directly from God to you. If you can remember back when we first started the series, Jesus started the entire sermon off. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, what did he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He starts this entire dialogue off saying, you're blessed if you know that you are spiritually deficient. If there is a total and radical spiritual deficit in your life. You're blessed if you know that. Why? Because you'll have to go to someone to get it. You'll have to ask and seek and knock. He says you'll be eager to ask and anxious to seek and hopeful when knocking when you know that you're poor in spirit. But what are we to ask for? I mean, it's, it's easy to memorize these. It's easy to throw them around. It's easy to tie it into a salvific passage, even though it's not. But what are you to be asking for? What are you to be seeking? And what are you to be knocking? I mean, what does this mean? A lot of the commentators, they said, oh, it's just a general statement for persistence in prayer. And that's a true statement. And we'll look at that. But I find it hard to think that Christ is just trying to rattle off some terms here and group them all together. When you stop and you look, say, well, what are we to ask for? Let's do that first. You ask for that which you do not possess, which you don't have. Ask, and you will receive. Ask, he said, and it will be given to you. What do you not have? What do you not possess? What qualities are not in you that Christ says you must have to live the kingdom life. Qualities, abilities, powers, desires. Are you asking for them? When the boys were little, young parents, you you remember this, if you're in the midst of it right now, you know it all too well. It takes forever for them to learn to tie their shoes. That's why they came out with a little Velcro. Brilliant idea. Brilliant idea. When I was, uh, when Kirk was, he was too young, obviously, I was being impatient, getting frustrated. I'm like, okay, that's it. Today, I'm teaching him to tie his shoes. You know, he's like six months, right? So I'm like, okay, come on. You can do it. Get your hands in there. And, and after several attempts, I realized, you know what? He doesn't have the fine motor skills to do it. His fingers are fat, and they're more like toes than fingers, and he can't do it. And so what? When he wanted to go outside, unless I wanted him barefoot or in his socks, which mom wasn't happy about, he'd say, Dad... Can you please tie my shoes? Yes. And I go over. He, I had to do it for him. I had to give it to him. I had to be a gift to him. If I said no, his shoes would be, they would be tied. He'd go outside and they'd be hanging all over the place and he'd trip and fall and all that stuff. He couldn't do it on his own. He needed me. He needed Lori. He needed someone to give it to him. When we hear our Lord's teachings in this sermon, of the kingdom life and the kingdom principles and the kingdom way of life and then you being called as a kingdom citizen, you got to see right off that you cannot tie your own shoes. I mean, he's saying, he says, 
you know, be humble and persistent. Right? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Be radically generous with your time and your resources and your money. He says, when you engage in acts of righteousness, do it with purity and not hypocrisy. He says, when you pray, pray like this and pray. Love my father most. When you judge, judge rightly, but do not condemn. And we can go down the list and it's, it's, it's overwhelming. Because as you make your way through it, you realize you're the six-month-old that can't tie his own shoes, and yet you're been being called to go outside and play. You're being called to go outside, but you can't tie your shoes. we we got to ask him for the wisdom to be these people, to have these qualities, to live this life, for the ability to do so. We might even want to start by asking him to forgive us for not asking, because we don't ask, and we don't ask because we think we're okay and we can do it on our own. But in reality, we can't. We try and we make fools of ourselves. We run headlong into life, ill-prepared. The television has been inundated with, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's just an observation, sideline observation, with uh, music programs. Um, Not like musicals. (laughs) You're going, really? Lawrence Welk, no. Young people competing to win certain things. You have American Idol, you have X Factor, you have The Voice. Did it. Thank you. And they come on, they all have the same premise. Compete, sing, win. Become the next pop star, vocalist. And without exception, there are these tragic auditions where someone has been told their entire life, very likely by parents, friends, you have a great voice, you have a great voice, you have a great voice. And then these young men and young women stand before you know, celebrities and then present themselves before millions, depending upon who's, how many are watching the show, and they sing, and then they're told, you can't sing, you don't have a voice. Who told you that? I, and, the, you know, I've, I've been told all my life I have a great voice. And they don't have a voice. And it's overwhelming. It's humiliating because they can't sing. Now, you can be trained in vocals. But some people can sing. And some people can't sing. God is saying to us here, and Jesus is making it very clear, that you've been lied to by many And you've lied to yourself that you have all these qualities. You have the humility. You have the patience. You have the desire to serve. You have the ability to judge without condemning. You have the ability to not be hypercritical. You have the ability to be gracious, radically gracious with your time and your money. You've been lied to. People will say, oh, you're so good. You say, I'm so good. And he's coming along saying, no, you're not. You're lacking in these things in total. And you need to get them from someone. And it's not you. We just haven't been presented before celebrities and 30 or 40 million people and then laughed off the stage. Be a good thing. What we need is to ask the Father for these things, for the kingdom qualities, for the virtues, for the desires, for the thought process, for the heart to be these kingdom citizens. He says, ask and you'll get it. And then he says, seek and you'll find. And the imperative question becomes for me, at least, what am I looking for? What do I need to find that I don't, I don't have right now? What am I looking for? 
He said, seek. Okay, seek. But when you're seeking, you're trying to find something. What am I trying to find? Most of you grew up, if, well, at my age, maybe, maybe when you're older you did not, I don't know. One of my favorite games growing up was hide-and-go-seek. I loved it. I loved it. And there's a huge dialogue I can have with you over lunch about hiding in the garden, how that plays out. But bottom line is that was a game many of us played. I played it with my children. Loved it. I, especially when they were little. Uh, they were so funny because we, we'd go out and say, okay, and I would, I would always be the one that was counting and they were always the one that was hiding. The premise is simple, right? Someone counts... They are the seeker, the others scramble away and they hide and they're the, they're the ones that are to be found, right? And the kids when they're little, you know, maybe it's just an age thing and not getting in the game, but you know, you'd be counting here, one, two, three, and they go like that and then they'd stand right next to you. And you'd open your eyes, oh, I found you, oh, you found me. Okay, you're not getting the game, right? I'm not supposed to find you. And then, then they'd kind of get it and they'd go and they'd, they'd find a really good spot and then they'd hide in that same spot ten times in a row, Right? And every time we play this and I get close to finding them, they, they give themselves away because they start to squeal like little pigs. I'd hear them like going, you know, really excited. Many people will read this passage, this verse, and think that it's a game of hide-and-go-seek with God. And they approach it as such. That, that God and his kingdom and his kingdom ways are all hidden. And you are the seeker. And you've counted to ten. God's gone to his hiding place. And now you've got to spend your whole life seeking this out. Seeking him. And seeking the kingdom. And seeking the power. That's not what Jesus is teaching at all. What Jesus is saying is that you are to seek his kingdom and his righteousness that has been made available to you. Not hidden, but now revealed in Christ. The same word, we looked at this, remember? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things will be given unto you. The word seek, same word in the Greek. It's a tale and it means to desire deeply. It can also be translated to worship. So you can say, he's saying, seek and you will find. Worship and you will find. You'll find what? You'll find God. You'll hear God. You'll see God. His righteousness. The very things that we're lacking. We're lacking His presence. We're lacking His righteousness. We're lacking the kingdom power. And He says, seek after those things. They've been made readily available to you in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Seek after them. How? With that ultimate desire. Right? The problem isn't a game of hide and go seek. The problem is that we don't desire these things first. We desire other things first. We desire marriage first, or children first, or money first, or education first. We desire God, and we desire his kingdom, but it's just a little lower on the desire list. And what he's saying here is, seek this first. God, his kingdom, his righteousness. This is the prayer. And then knocking. What is the knocking? Knock. Some translations knock and the door will be open. Ours knock and it will be open to you. This is a little bit harder. But it makes sense. I mean, when you, when you go to someone's door and you knock on their door, there's an expectation, what? That hopefully they're going to answer. And you're either desiring to come into their house or their apartment or whatever you're knocking on, to come in to their abode, to their living life, or, and or you're desiring to come into the presence of the person who lives there. Okay? Both apply here. Both apply beautifully, actually. When Adam and Eve sinned, what happened to them? They were cast out of the presence of God. They were kicked out of the garden, right? 
We're told in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, that after God drove Adam and Eve out, he placed what? On the east side of the Garden of Eden, cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth, Joshua wants to see this, to guard the way to the tree of life. As a result of our sin, we lost the immediate presence of God. The immediate, real, intimate presence of being with the Father. And so, Jesus comes along and he's, he's saying, I've brought you back in by my grace. This is not knock on the door to try to get in. Jesus said, I brought you into the kingdom And now he says, because of my saving work, you can go into the presence of my Father. You can go into the holiest of holies. You can knock on the door of the sanctuary boldly in Christ. When he was on his way to Jerusalem in Luke chapter 13, someone asked him. I love when the Bible says someone. Someone. Someone asked him, Lord, Are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, make every effort to enter through what? The narrow door. Enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. Many come and they knock on the wrong door for the wrong reasons. They seek after other gods. They seek after another way to be saved. Christ comes along and says, listen, I have already saved you by my blood. I've brought you into the kingdom. Now, knock on the door of the sanctuary to come into the presence of my Father. Daily. You say, well, can I do that? Yes. In fact, he's commands you to do it. I love being commanded to do great things for, for our well-being. Christ commands us to present ourselves into the presence of God. What a great command. So Jesus reveals to his listeners the need to ask for that which we do not possess. He says, seek The kingdom is righteousness because you don't have it. He says, knock on the door of the presence of my father because that's what you need most. And he says to do all these things because the implied truth is that we are deficient. There's a spiritual deficit that we are suffering from on a daily basis. And so he says, ask and seek and knock. He says, all right. I get the deficit. I even get the concept as it applies to politics in our economy. I get that I am spiritually deficient. So what do I do? I mean, what is this asking and seeking and knocking? I'll tie it back into the presidential debate. Both President Obama and Governor Romney have presented plans to overcome our $1 trillion annual deficit. That's a trillion dollars a year, by the way, per year. And each candidate has presented how they are going to, at least on paper, overcome our annual deficits of a trillion dollars a year. We have become the largest debtor, not just debtor nation, but debtor in the history of the world. It's an extraordinary thing. And so these two men say, well, here's the plan to get us out of this. Here's the solution to overcome our deficits. Now, if you've listened and you've read each, so see, I'm not even going to let you say Republican, Democrat. Each plan has some mathematical merit. Each plan, at least on paper. But they both are completely irrelevant. Because the problem is not political, and the problem is not mathematical. The problem, even at that level, is spiritual. 
It's a spiritual deficit. Why? Well, it's real simple. How did we get to this place? Well, we turned away from God. We turned away from the wisdom of God. We turned away from the concept of being stewards of what God is giving us. Right? So I'll hear these plans, Republican, Democrat, it doesn't matter, unless it's talking about revival, and unless it's talking about God's wisdom and God's ways and stewardship, then it doesn't matter what the plan is, because it's still not going to work, because the problem's spiritual. And I thank God that Jesus comes to us in this situation, and he doesn't come as a politician, and he doesn't come as a mathematician. He comes as a savior. And he says, you think that we got it bad, a trillion dollars in debt? Your situation is much worse before a holy God. Because this is the kingdom that I've called you to. And these are the ways in which you're supposed to live. And you cannot do it. And that day of reckoning, standing before this holy God, will be infinitely worse than when this country goes bankrupt. So Jesus says, and it's, it's simple and yet utterly profound. Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, the one who came down out of heaven to earth. He says to you, in light of the spiritual deficit, in light of this kingdom calling, in light of all these ways of life, these people you're supposed to be that you cannot be, he says, ask and seek and knock and don't stop. <laughs> the added part is in the Greek. Ask and seek and knock and don't stop. You must continue. Because he said, if you ask, I love this. If you ask, he said, it's a future tense, you will receive. If you knock, I mean, if you seek, you will find. If you knock, you will be opened. The door will be opened to you. These things will take place. And so you have on the one hand, now listen carefully. If I've lost, you come back. I said earlier that if you're deficient in these things, God must give them to you. And that is true. And, not but, and God is calling you to receive them. He's calling you to request for them. He's saying, if you ask, you will receive. The implication being, you got to ask. You got to seek. And you got to knock. Is it a gift from God? Yes. And it's given to those who ask and seek and knock. You say, I don't like that tension. These three words, ask, seek, and knock... In the Greek, they're all in the present tense. So, so grammar, great. Politics and grammar, just going to kill this sermon. What does that mean? It means they are emphatically, now, daily, all the time. That means you don't ask, receive, and stop asking. You don't seek and find and stop seeking. You don't knock, enter in, and stop knocking. The Implicit teaching in the Greek is clear. It's an asking and seeking and knocking daily, persistently, humbly. How? Through prayer. I mean, this is prayer. This is prayer. This is you on a daily basis, persistently and humbly, as, as someone completely in debt, going before your king and your master and your lover and your savior and saying, I don't have this. I don't have these qualities. I don't have this heart. I don't have this love. Give it to me. I'm seeking after all the wrong things. I'm seeking after degrees and fame and power and relationships. I, I want to seek after your kingdom and your righteousness. Find it for me. You say, I'm knocking on all the wrong doors. I knock on my manager's door to get a promotion. I knock on my wife's door to get intimacy. I knock on all these doors. I want to knock on your door to see you and to hear you and to know you. And Jesus says, do that every single day, multiple times a day. 
All three are in the present, emphatic present tense. Daily basis. In Luke chapter 11, which is our parallel passage to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus, Jesus, I love when he does this. I don't have to illustrate this point because Christ does it for me, which means it's going to be a much better illustration. You ready? Jesus is teaching the same teaching in Luke chapter 11 that parallels Matthew 7, and he says, let me illustrate it for you because we don't get it. Jesus said to the crowd, listen, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door, love this, the door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Jesus said, I tell you, though he will not get up and give the man bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And then Jesus says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. So what is he telling us to do? He's telling us to get on our knees and stay on our knees. He's saying persistently and humbly petition God for that which you do not have. Ask, seek, knock, now, tonight, tomorrow morning, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year, until your last breath. Keep on asking. This sinful man gets out of bed and gives the friend food, not because, he, not because of the relationship, but because of this man's persistence. It was this, hey, hey, and he's like, I'm never going to get to sleep if I don't get up and help this man. Persistence. How much more our Heavenly Father? In Luke 18, a few chapters later, Jesus gives us another parable to show us that we should always pray and never give up in these requests. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. Sounds like a member of the Supreme Court today. I can't get a single ha, ha, ha. So serious. In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And then Jesus says, pray like this. The widow was hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Jesus Christ said, hunger and thirst for righteousness. And in context of this passage, he's saying it will be given to you. Hunger and thirst to be transformed in the image of Christ. Hunger and thirst to become the people that Christ has equipped us to be and called us to be and commands us to be as kingdom citizens. Hunger and thirst for it. Not, yeah, I like that, or that sounds interesting, or not a bad teaching. Hungry, thirsty. Like the widow. Like the man. Persistent knocking, persistent seeking, persistent asking. If we do that, if we ask and we seek and we knock daily, so that we can receive from God the desires and the power and the means and the character to be these kingdom citizens, not only will he give it to us 
and transform us so that we bring him glory. But we will then reject the ways of the world. We'll reject the wisdom of the world. We won't look at all those other solutions, all those other plans, right? The deficit solution plans that we know fail. We won't look to our job or our spouse or our retirement or our children. We won't look to those things. We'll look to Christ. And what's so grievous to me is how many people reject this deficit solution offered by Christ. And the result is they leave the faith altogether or they stay in some anemic state. So I've been here now as a member for about 16 years, right about 16 years. And I've had the pleasure of of pastoring uh, for about 10. And more than a few have come through this church over the years. And they have, they've, some like the, some like the, the seed that falls on the shallow soil and it comes in and it hears the gospel and it grows rapidly and it reads the Bible and they begin to engage in ministry and everything's good and everything's glorious. And then what? And then they wither and they disappear. Why? Why? Because they hear this and they attempt to do it all on their own. By their strength, by their power, by their will, by their might. And it doesn't last. And frustration sets in. And then anger. Anger with someone like me who's proclaiming the truth. They say, this is not possible. Stop saying it. Stop saying it. And so what happens? After a while they leave. They leave. And they will, they'll go to a place where you won't talk about kingdom citizenship. Kingdom demands and kingdom ways. You'll go to a place where the ears are tickled. You know, you might, some people will just leave and they'll go to a different religion altogether. Or no religion at all. They'll turn to something else, a job or a hobby or something. And this has happened. This has happened in the last few years with people that I love dearly. One young man who now no longer professes faith in Christ at all. This young man was responsible for bringing many into the church. And now he rejects Christ. He rejects the faith. How'd that happen? How'd it happen? I'll tell you. It's by trying on your own to live the life that Christ has called us to live. It's by not asking and not seeking and not knocking. And the end is destruction because we cannot do it apart from Christ. You say, well, I haven't left yet. You haven't. But some, some who are here have fallen into another category of this lack of power in Christ. There are some still in our midst who do not ask and do not seek And do not find. They are still striving to live this life by their own power. And it's grievous because what happens is that instead of leaving, they end up staying. It's a similar boat though. Sunday after Sunday, they'll they'll hear the word of God preached. And it will just, it'll be one more thing that they cannot do. One more thing they cannot do. And so what happens? Malaise sets in. Uh, a dismissal of these truths being applicable to them. Uh, some of these people, are, they're always in crisis mode. Everything's always a crisis. There are always constant dilemmas and problems of why they're not growing. And these individuals will point at me or you or others and say, the reason I'm not growing is this. It's these people, it's this pastor, it's, this, it's all this. When fundamentally the problem is again, them attempting to live this kingdom life by their own power and their own strength. And it's a mode of self-salvation. Instead of going to God daily and saying, you know what, God, I can't be this person. And asking him for the qualities to be that person. God, I'm seeking after all the wrong things. I want to seek after you. 
Give me that desire. I'm knocking all the wrong doors, Lord. I want to knock on your door. And so people leave and people stay. At the end, apart from asking and seeking, knocking is an anemic, powerless, joyless life. And so you're saying, Pastor, I thought this was an encouraging message. You told us that at the very beginning, and I'm not lying to you. There's a blessed assurance in this. Because many have tried and failed, but they haven't really tried. Many question. If you're a Republican, you question Obama's plan. If you're a Democrat, you question um, Governor Romney's plan. If you're a skeptic, you question Christ's plan. Because Christ is saying, here's the deficit solution. You got a deficit problem. Here's the solution. Ask, seek, and knock. It'll be given, you'll find, and the door will be opened. And some of you go, how do I know? How do I, not, not, how do I know that Jesus is not just playing politics with me? How, do, how can I be sure? Where is the title I gave you? Where is the blessed assurance of this? Look at the passage again, verses 9, 10, 11. Jesus knows we think like this. He knows how skeptical and hypercritical we are. And so he says, which one of you... If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or which of you who asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Now, the problem with evangelicals today is that we hear this and we believe it, We don't really believe it. I mean, we believe it to the degree that we're saying, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. This is a Bible-believing church. Pastor Keith's preaching from the Bible. Of course I believe it. Of course we believe it. But our actions reveal otherwise. I mean, they do, right? Christ is saying, you have a deficit problem. Here's the solution. Ask, seek, and knock. You say, well, how do I know this is real? He says, I'll tell you why. He says, your father who's in heaven, how much more will he give you these things that you're asking for? And it's not, side real quick, it's not the new house. It's not the beautiful wife. It's not the promotion. Those aren't the things, right? It's the things of the kingdom of God that we do not have. God wants you to have them. He commands you to live in light of them. We say we believe these things, but in the Western church... When we look at the Western Church, when we look at Camden Avenue, is this how we are characterized? Is the Western Church, is Camden Avenue Baptist Church characterized by asking and seeking and knocking? Would this be something that we would tell someone, tell us about your church? We ask, we seek, and we knock daily. And we don't stop. Why do you do that? Because we know that apart from him giving it to us, we will not be these people and we will not be the church that he wants us to be. In the Western church, we prefer structure. We prefer big movements. We prefer visible ministry over asking and seeking and knocking. We prefer organization and numbers and powerful institutions. Mega is the word we attach. And I, you know, I've been thinking about this. Another sideline, a sermon for another day. Can mega church go together? I don't even know that's possible. In a literal sense, mega. 
We are concerned about all the things of the world. Perception. Busyness. I met with a pastor recently. And I said, how, how was your study time? How's your prayer time? He said, not so good. And I was like, boo. I mean, I was like, it's one of those where you go, oh. And I said, why? He says, no time. I go, what do you mean no time? He says, too much ministry work to do. No time to ask. No time to seek. No time to knock. And this pastor looked worn. I mean, just worn. And I get it. On his own failure. But on his knees, power. Prayer, individual and corporate prayer, is not, and I include us, it's not our primary spiritual endeavor. It's not. Seeking God through his word, eating the food of the word of God, is not our primary spiritual endeavor. We do lots of things. We do. We do as a church and the church. We do lots of things. And several look so much more successful by the world's standards. But Christ, as he would say to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3, he would say to us, he would say to the Western church, listen, your church is deficient. And we'd say, what do we do, Lord? He would say, ask and seek and knock and don't stop. To cover your debt. This pastor said, I have no time to ask. James says, you want something, but you do not get it, and you do not have it because you do not what? You don't ask. I mean, this, saints, this is so, this is not theologically complicated, and yet we blunder it radically. So you say, all right, why don't I ask? What is my deal? What is our deal as a church? Christ is making it so simple. I hear the sermon. I see I'm deficient. I'm, I'm lacking in 99.9, no, 100% of all these things, right? I'm spiritually deficient. And so he says to me, just ask and God will give it to you. Just seek and you'll find it. Just knock on the door and it'll be open to you. Why don't I, why don't you, and why don't we ask and seek and knock? Like Jesus says, what is the deal? What's wrong with us? That's a compelling question. And thankfully, Jesus answers it in this passage as well. He says something in verse 11 that causes many to recoil. Did you notice what he says in verse 11? He says, if you then who are evil, what? What? You think they heard that one? Oh, yes, yes, we're evil. What? what did he say, evil? No, what? Not perfect, but evil. He says, if you then who are evil, and he says, you who are evil. He doesn't say we, including himself, because he was not. He was the perfect son of God, right? He says, if you are evil, why don't we ask him? Why don't we seek him? Why don't we knock? Fundamentally, we're evil. A pastor years ago said, you know what? Criminals don't go to the police station to hang out. Evil people do not run into the throne room of, of a holy God. Right? It's counterintuitive. We get that. So Jesus says, we are evil, not we, not including him. 
And then he says, go to your father. And you go, wait a minute. I mean, there's a total disconnect here. Is Jesus saying that all people are God's children? Is this a universal call to the fatherhood of God Almighty? Is Jesus saying that all people saved and unsaved can go to God and ask and he will give and seek and they will find and the door? No, 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 no. Not at all. What is he saying then? He's saying this. You before Christ ran from God. I ran with all my might away from him. I didn't want to ask him anything. I surely did not seek him, and I wasn't going to knock on his door. It was all opposite direction, right? But then Christ came and went to the cross, and in so doing, the barrier that was created between God and me and God and you, which is sin, Christ dealt with. Finally and ultimately. We were running from God because we are evil and God is holy. And the good news is this. Here's the great news. It's even hard for me to say good. It's great. It's extraordinary. It's spectacular. It's mega. All right? There's a good place to put mega. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, this is what he did. He took your spiritual debt, which is your sin, that you owed to God with your life, and he used his spiritual surplus to overcome it. His blood. His spiritual righteousness to overcome our spiritual death by dying in our place. For all who would repent and all who would believe, not all, but who would repent and believe and follow Christ, for all those, he died for your sins. And he not only died and therefore released you from your indebtedness, taking away your spiritual deficit, but then he fills you with his spiritual righteousness. And it's a complete reversal of standing. And this is what's happened. And this is why it's so extraordinary. And if you tell me not to get excited about this, then you don't understand what I'm saying. This is what he's saying. My good standing with my father has been given to you through my sacrifice on the cross. And so we go from people who are at enmity with God because of our sin, completely spiritually devoid of any righteousness, of any goodness, of any kind, running from God. Christ saves us and he turns us back and he places us in the kingdom. He says, now, this God who you were afraid of because you deserve punishment is now your father. You have my standing. You have my righteous standing because of my sacrifice, because of my blood. And as a result, he says, now, children of God, go to your father. Go to your father and ask and seek and knock. You see, I still don't know why I don't go. Because fundamentally, we still have a misconception about who God is and who we are now in Christ. We still miss it. He's now our Father. He's our Heavenly Father. And you are His Son. You are His daughter through Christ. I'll ask you a simple question. Maybe this will clarify it. If you know Christ, how do you think He hears you? How do you think the Father hears you when you pray? 
If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when you go to your knees and you petition him, when you ask him and when you seek and when you knock, how does he hear you? How do you think he hears you? What is the, 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 the image in your mind, the perception in your mind of God listening to you pray? Is God frustrated with you? Oh, here she comes again. Do you have this picture in mind that God is angry with you all the time? If you do, then you're just in a perpetual state of repentance. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Don't smite me. Is that how? Do you see God? uh, Do you come to God begrudgingly? Do you see God frustrated with you, angry with you, kind of not terribly concerned with you? If so, then you're not seeing God clearly and yourself as a son or daughter as a result of the sacrifice of Christ. It's an important question of how you see God hearing you. Because it will determine not only how you go to God asking, seeking, knocking, but whether you go at all. I'll close with an example. Ready? If you were raised with a father who was thoughtless and extravagant in giving, after a very short period of time, if you were like me, you would have figured this out. And you would have gone to that father to use him to get whatever you want and whatever you need at any time. And you would, eventually, you would go arrogantly and you would go, you wouldn't be asking, you'd be demanding, right? The father who gives you everything indiscriminately. Some of you said that was my dad. And I'm sorry for that. Some of you said that wasn't my dad. My dad was always angry, always bitter, always cutting. If you had a father that when you would go into his presence, when you would ask or seek or knock in your father's presence, you would be eaten, cut down, torn to pieces, how would you approach that father? After a very short period of time, after being burned too many times, you're not going to go. You'll just stop going. But what if? If you had that father, I am sorry for that too. Because that's not the way it was supposed to be. Not how God designed fathers. What if though you have a father. Who is good and wise. What if you have a father that says come to me anytime, day or night. And ask anything that you think or need or want to ask. Seek after the things of me in my, in my house. Knock on my door any time. And what if this father was so good and so wise that he would only give to you what was absolutely in your best interest so that he would not give you those things that were hurtful to you even if you thought they were good for you and he would give you those things that were good for you even if they thought they were, you thought they were not. What if you had a father like this? What if you had a father who not only encouraged you to come into his presence and know him and enjoy him, but a father that had the resources to bless you every time that you came with exactly what you needed in such a way that it was for your ultimate best interests? What if you had a father like that? How would you go? Quickly, daily, always, right? 
If you had a father like that, not the one who's going to bite your head off and not the one who's going to give you anything you ask for so you destroy yourself, but the father who was good and wise. The father who was filled with compassion and love, but also disciplined properly. That father, that father you'd run to. You would ask and seek and knock all the time. And the father would never grow tired of it. And you would never grow tired of it. This is the father that you have in Christ. This is the father that you need. And this is the father that you want. So if you were raised with a father that was, that was demanding and biting and cutting, this is your real father if you know Christ. And if you were raised with that father who gave you anything indiscriminately and spoiled you and ruined you, this is the father that you have in Christ. And so Jesus says, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How much more? Infinitely more. This is your father. The reason that we don't ask and seek and knock is because we don't see it clearly. We don't see the father for who he really is. And the father that we now have as a result of the work of Christ. And so we try to go it alone. We ended up leaving the church or staying here in a, in a state of malaise and apathy. John Newton said poetically this. He said, Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid thee pray, therefore will not say thee nay. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. You can't ask too much. No matter how spiritually deficient you are, you can't ask too much from God. Jesus knows how demanding this sermon is. Not mine, his. He knows the high calling of this kingdom life and this kingdom citizenship. He knows that as we make our way through this, we keep saying, what a mess, what a mess, what a mess I am. He knows this. And so he says to you, and he says to me lovingly but wisely, get on track with God. Go to my father and ask and seek and knock. He says, don't go it alone. Don't get frustrated and and leave. Don't do that. Don't... Try to push through it on your own and stay and make a mess of your life and others. Don't become apathetic. Don't become anemic. He says, don't use this kingdom teaching as a sweet metaphor that I have no expectation of living out. Christ expects us to live like this. He calls us to be kingdom citizens. He says, don't dismiss this. Don't relegate it to the impossible. He says, go to my Father who is in heaven. Your Father in heaven. Ask, seek, knock persistently, daily, humbly, in great faith. And if you do, if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. And if you knock, the door will be opened. I was overwhelmed this week with a sense of conviction of how little I ask and seek and knock. How little I ask and seek and knock for you. What's wrong with me? I don't see my father clearly. 
I don't see myself clearly in light of the sacrifice of Christ. I must be missing it. Because he's the good and wise father. And he only gives me what's absolutely my best. What's best for me. Saints. The author of Hebrews tells us this. And it beckons the question, what are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? The Holy Spirit said through the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4, Therefore, and here's a great way to end the sermon, Therefore what? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now listen. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is our time of need. Enter into the throne room of God. Today, Don't wait until until you close your eyes. Today, ask and seek and knock. Evaluate your life. Evaluate your character. Evaluate your person in light of the teachings of this Sermon on the Mount. And ask God to give you his surplus. If we do, in great faith, with great humility, ask and seek and knock. Not just individually, but as a church. There will be radical transformation transformation the like I would argue we've never seen here before at Camden Avenue so let us hear Christ and let us engage in this wonderful mystery of the faith of receiving the gifts from God by asking and seeking and knocking I pray that I'll be faithful that end and I pray for you as well let's pray Father, it is a grievous thing for us to hear your your son's calling, hear the standards of this kingdom, the life that we're supposed to live and the people that we're supposed to be, and realize that we are not these people. It's grievous, and it should be convicting. But even more grievous, Lord, is that you give us the means by which to become these people. You tell us the how, and you supply the power, and we still don't do it. That's even worse. No more, Father. I pray that no more will we be a people that don't ask and don't seek and don't knock daily. I pray that we would see the foolishness of attempting to be kingdom citizens on our own power and our own strength by our own will. I pray we would see that quickly so we stop before we leave and before we become apathetic. Father, give us the wisdom and I'm asking you now for the desire to ask and seek and knock. Make that seed go deep so that we individually and collectively as one body will be a people who go to our knees and stay on our knees. What a glorious thought that Camden Avenue Baptist Church would be described as such so that you would be glorified in our midst. 
We pray for this wisdom in Christ's holy name, for his power and his strength.